Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Ken Richards, and this is part nine of our ongoing study series. It is entitled The Counter-Reformation. Today, we continue where we left off last week, answering the second of two questions which were posted. The first was, why are we not hearing these things in our churches, which was dealt with last week? And the second question was, what do you mean when you say that the churches have been infiltrated? This I will deal with today. But first, let me say that there is no simple way to answer this question, because it goes deep, and it touches on a lot of things. But if you listen carefully and prayerfully, you will understand, and it will become so plain that you will start seeing it for yourself. The Bible tells us that we are in a spiritual warfare, and this is no simple child's game, dear friend. This is more, much more than just the devil tempting people and bringing affliction upon people and making your children rebellious and causing you to lose your job and making your life difficult. That too, but much more. It is much bigger and broader and deeper than this. It is a carefully organized system which is worldwide and through which the enemy works to fulfill his purposes. The purpose and the plan is to destroy the Christian faith to undermine and destroy true Christianity. And you don't have to break something down to destroy it. You can just corrupt it so that it no longer serves the purpose for which God intended for it, and you have done the same thing. You've destroyed it. Understand, dear friends, that the Christianity of Jesus Christ, which he gave to us as the means by which we proclaim the truth and bring people into God's kingdom, the truth of the Gospels, the truth of the Bible, this is the means by which God pushes back against the kingdom of darkness to rescue people out of it and to bring them into his kingdom of light. And Satan's purpose is to destroy that avenue and to keep people in darkness so that they reject God and are lost. As the Bible says, the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants people to be destroyed and to be lost. And so he's not just working on individuals here and there. He's doing that, yes, but much more than that. He has controlled the big systems, the government systems in the world, and he uses them as instruments to accomplish his purposes. And that is why in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19, we're told that the whole world lies in wickedness, which literally means the whole world lies under the control of the wicked one. Now, God uses human instruments in the proclamation of the gospel to evangelize the world and to bring people to him into his kingdom of life so that they might be saved. But wherein God uses human beings, Satan also works through human beings. And he controls those at the top. He controls the governing political systems and political leaders. He controls the major industries in the world. Yes, the entertainment industry, the music industry and all that. He controls the conventional medical system even. Yes, the pharmaceutical industries are controlled by the enemy. Yes, to a very great degree, he controls this too. And I mean what I'm saying. I'm not just pulling this out of thin air, no. And I'm not saying, by the way, that you don't have good doctors and all that. Yes, you have some genuine and sincere medical personnel at all specialties, yes. And people can still get helped from certain conventional procedures and treatments, yes. 
But overall, at the very top, the general system is controlled and we're going to show where all these plans came from and when they were laid. These were plans laid long ago. And most importantly, Satan also controls much of the religious systems in a very, very big way. And God wants to open our eyes, dear listener, so that we can see these things. Because it just might be that our soul's salvation depends upon it. Because Satan uses deception to keep people blinded to the truth of what really is happening. And four times in Matthew, Jesus warned us in speaking about the last days. He warned four times, do not be deceived, be not deceived, be not deceived. Because those who are deceived are carried away and are lost. So I'm going to touch on a little bit of history so we can get an idea really what I'm talking about. This study is going to have a lot of information. It's going to be very involved. So listen it a few times. Let it sink in. And when it really sinks in, you will see for yourself more clearly and you'll be seeing all around what is really taking place. The Bible says spiritual things are spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Now, in order to explain the infiltration, I would like to go into a bit of history to give a bigger picture so that everything makes sense. I find that when we understand the big picture, it becomes easier to put the pieces in place. So maybe I should just go way back to the beginning, even before the existence of human beings, so you can get a full picture. The Bible tells us that one of God's creatures, an angel, the most exalted of the angels, got jealous and wanted the position of God. Pride and jealousy blinded Lucifer to the fact that he was just a mere finite creature. And he decided he wanted to be in the place of God and to have the worship of the angels. And just to give a snapshot from the book of Isaiah, we read the words here, Isaiah 14 verses 12 to 14. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground who did weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. So this was Lucifer's boast. He wanted the position of God, a mere creature wanted the throne of his creator. Now God could have destroyed Lucifer the moment he started his rebellion in heaven. But God does not operate on those principles, dear friends. He wants all to see for themselves what rebellion causes, so that every creature will willingly refuse rebellion, not because they have been forced to do so, but because they realize the danger of it and they understand the love of their God and they love him and they willingly choose to remain faithful to him. And the Bible says that by lies and deception, he deceived one third of the angels to join him in rebellion against God. And soon they were no longer able to stay in heaven and had to flee from the brightness of God's presence. The darkness could no longer abide in the presence of the light. In Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve sinned, God showed up in the Garden of Eden. And knowing they had sinned and filled with guilt and fear, they ran away trying to hide themselves from God. But God had come with forgiveness and to let them know that he had a plan for them, a plan of redemption, to give them a second chance of life. And this plan involved the coming of the Messiah, the promised one, Jesus Christ, who would take upon himself human nature and a human body and live and die a sinless life 
so that he could give that perfect righteousness to all who believed on him and remained faithful to him. In giving this promise to Adam and Eve shortly after they sinned, here is how God worded it, according to the prophet, in speaking in the presence of the serpent and to the serpent. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field. Upon your belly shall you go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3, 14 and 15. Notice again verse 15. Enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman. The church by extension and her seed, specifically the seed of the woman, the one who would come to be born of a woman. The seed of the serpent are who? Those who allow themselves to be controlled by the devil and are used by him to do his bidding. And the seed of the woman are who? Well, Christ first and foremost, and then those who belong to him, those who are faithful to him and allow him to work in them by his spirit to do his bidding. So as long as this world shall last, there will be enmity and strife between those who are working on the side of Satan and those who are faithful to God. But this is a one-sided enmity. It is the seed of Satan, the ones who are under Satan's control, who are always seeking to destroy the faithful people of God. God's children are peacemakers, even seeking for the salvation of their enemies. But Satan's followers have a built-in hatred for the truth and for those who follow the truth. As prophesied in Genesis 3, an intense enmity against Jesus Christ and those who follow him faithfully will be carried on through history. Satan is waging a constant warfare against God's kingdom and will seek to undermine, to corrupt and to destroy anything that God puts in place to lead people to himself, even if it is the church itself. But Jesus even told his disciples, dear friends, that a lot of this enmity will come from religious leaders who, while claiming to be servants of God, will be evil in their heart. John 16, 1-3 These things have I spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of their churches. Yes, the time is coming that whosoever kills you will think that he does God's service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. Notice that Jesus is saying that when you take a certain stand for the truth, they will throw you out of their churches and even want to kill you, believing that they are doing it for God's sake. Think about this. He's not speaking of the people in the world. They are not in the churches. Just imagine how self-deceived and deluded someone has to be to be killing God's children, believing that they are doing it in service to God. But Jesus says that those who do these things do not know the Father nor himself. And this enmity between darkness and light, between sin and righteousness, between evil and faithfulness to God, will be seen all through history because nothing makes the devil more angry than when he sees God's people rejecting his deceptions and being faithful to God and loving the truth. Hence Jesus said, also in John 16:33, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So notice that the enmity will come against the faithful in this world, but peace is found only in Jesus Christ. The enmity continues, 
and the rage of the enemy knows no bounds. Yet all through history, God has had faithful servants who choose to trust him even to death itself. They would rather be thrown in a fiery furnace or a den of lions than to dishonor their creator. Satan uses lies, deception, intimidation, persecution, and all manner of force to get people to come over to his side and to end up in his final destiny. But God uses the revelation of his love and mercy and grace to win the hearts of mankind to loyalty and faithfulness to him. Now, the Apostle Paul prophesied as he was shown by God that the Roman Empire would eventually go off the scene only to re-emerge in the form of a religious system, the Roman Church. It would have the same agenda, the same ideology, and just like the ancient Roman Empire, its religious allegiance would also be to sun worship. But there would be a shift in its method. Instead of a civil power ruled by Caesars, it would emerge as a religious empire known as the Holy Roman Empire, at the head of which sits a man, which the Apostle Paul calls the man of sin, the son of perdition, who sits over all the churches showing himself that he is God, 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 4. In other words, he would be head over an anti-Christian religious system which pretends to serve the God of true Christianity while disguising itself under a pretense of Christianity. While behind the scenes, it wars against true Christianity to undermine and to destroy it. It's the Caesar of Rome all over again, but this time in a religious role. This is the shape of Satan's continued rebellion against God, working through a false religious system. But how did this transition take place from ancient Rome to the Roman Church? From the legs of iron to the feet and toes of iron and clay. In 518 AD, the then Roman emperor named Justinian, he came to the throne, and by 524 AD, he decided to move the seat of his government from Rome, from the place where it had been for almost 700 years, and establish it in another city called Constantinople, which was almost 1,000 miles away in the eastern part of the empire. Now just imagine for context, just imagine if a newly elected president of the United States comes to power and decides to abandon the White House and move the capital of the government from Washington, D.C. to California or Florida, or some other place over a thousand miles away. So this was a major event that took place back then in Rome. But they did not know that they were merely fulfilling Bible prophecy. 500 years before that, God had shown the Apostle John that this change over would take place. And speaking of the Roman church, he wrote in the book of Revelation that the dragon gave him his seat and his power and great authority, Revelation 13 and verse 2. Now, prior to this move of the emperor Justinian, moving the capital to Constantinople, all the emperors and Caesars of Rome had ruled their empire over the nations, which was comprised of 10 different kingdoms under Roman rule at that time. And they ruled over these 10 nations from the city of Rome in a place which today we call the Vatican. For almost 700 years, this is where they ruled from. And the Emperor Justinian moved his seat of government and also made a decree, a law, that the Bishop of Rome 
should rule over all the ten religions of the ten kingdoms controlled under his rule. Now three of these ten kingdoms didn't want that, and so rebellion and war broke out with these three. And for years these wars went on, until the third and last of these three kingdoms that rebelled was defeated in 538 AD. The seven remaining ones eventually became the seven nations of Europe. And this is the year 538 AD when all the opposition of those three nations that rebelled were finally squashed and wiped out. And then the Bishop of Rome, whose name was Vigilius, he moved into the Vatican, the very seat from which all of the Caesars had ruled for hundreds of years, which had been vacated by Justinian, the emperor. He set up the headquarters of the religion there and have been there ever since. As Revelation 13.2 said, the dragon would give his seat and his power and great authority. Now from there, it would then extend the Roman system of religion throughout the world as the Holy Roman Empire, a church state using religion as the means of control by which it forms alliances with governments, eventually gaining control over them as it works quietly behind the scenes through a worldwide network of Jesuit agents. The first alliance it formed was even before it came to full power. This was in 508 with Clovis, the king of the Franks. The Franks later came to be known as France. Clovis, the king, was inducted into the Catholic Church and under the instruction of the popes, the army was used to compel all people to convert to Catholicism or be killed. This was a pattern of persecution and control which continued within the countries of Europe for over a thousand years. And this is the period of history which is called the Dark Ages. Historians tell us that during this period, between 50 million and 100 million people were killed by orders of the Catholic Church, using its control over the kings of Europe. All who would not accept its religion and go along with its agenda were killed. All of this is historical fact, which can be verified by anyone who wishes to know the truth for themselves. For example, the St. Bartholomew Massacre was one in which, in one night, August 24, 1572, a whole city was surrounded by agents of the Catholic Church, and 30,000 people were killed because they would not give up their beliefs to join the Catholic Church. And during this time, cruelty, brutality, exploitation, confiscation of people's lands and property, murder, and horrendous torture knew no limits as the church used the power of the state to persecute others who disagreed with it, as the poor were forced to pay for salvation while the priests and popes lived in lavish luxury and building huge palaces and cathedrals while the people were kept in darkness and superstition and ignorance of the truth of God's word, the Dark Ages. Bibles were illegal. Bibles were burned by the tens of thousands as they were gathered up and burned in large piles in the middle of the towns. The Bibles were burned to keep the truth from the people. The regular people were forbidden to read the Bible or even to own a Bible. If they were found with a Bible, it was burned and the owner was burned to death also with his family. Thousands upon thousands held fast their faith 
and died for the cause of truth. Then came the 16th century Reformation. In the 16th century, God raised up certain men, men like Luther, Martin Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, Melanchthon, and others. These were men who started to study the word and realized that the church system in place was not of God, but rather a counterfeit. And so they started studying the Bible for themselves and exposing the evils of the system and opening up the eyes of the people to the fact that the pretending state church was in reality the system of Antichrist, which the Bible prophesied about. And this is found in their writings to this very day. There was a widespread protest and many people started to realize the truth and pulled away from the Roman church system. Many were killed for standing up against the state church. But the protest grew and eventually over a million people broke away from the Catholic church and formed what was called various Protestant churches. The followers of Luther became the Lutherans. The followers of Calvin became the Calvinists, later Baptists and others. The followers of Menno Simmons became the Mennonites. And in later years, followers of John Wesley and others came along. Their followers became the Wesleyans. And also Queen Elizabeth of England broke the country away from the Roman Church and established the Church of England, the Anglican Church, in 1559. And all of these and many others were called Protestant churches because they protested against the atrocities of the Roman Church. And their purpose was to expose the system of Antichrist and to get the Bible truth back into the hands of the regular people. And many other Protestant churches were formed in the following years under different names, and many had to run away from Europe to the West, where they could practice their religion in peace without persecution. Some went to Holland, but most ended up running to America, which was a huge land back then, populated at the time by native Indians and blacks. Their motto was that they were looking for a country without a king and a church without a pope. Why? Because they had learned the hard way that whenever church and king or religion and politics join together, the truth always gets persecuted, hidden, and the faithful are destroyed. So they said they were looking for a country without a king and a church without a pope. The devil was not going to take this sitting down, however. The church of Rome has always considered itself as the mother church. And all these Protestant churches that broke away from her during the 16th century Reformation were seen as the wayward daughters of the mother church, which must be brought back home under the control of the mother. And so in 1545, it launched a church council called the Council of Trent, which lasted 18 years. This was the beginning of what it called the Counter-Reformation, to counteract the Reformation and undo what was accomplished, bringing back all under its control. This was a long series of meetings, which were held from 1545 to 1563, during which detailed plans were made to work quietly behind the scenes to infiltrate the churches and to bring them back under Rome's control. There were many other plans involved also, which we will not go into today, plans which have become a success even to this very day, plans like to infiltrate the governments of the nations through the system of Jesuits, to control the banking system of the world, to control the educational systems, to establish institutions of higher learning 
to specifically train those who would be groomed for politics and to be rulers over countries so that they would be answerable to the Roman church. Persons who would be placed in key positions were especially trained through Jesuit institutions, which many are established today all over the world. Part of the plan was also to establish numerous hospitals throughout the countries, thus having a controlling influence upon the healthcare systems worldwide. But those are not what we're focusing on today. What we're looking at is its plan to work to bring all the Protestant churches under the control of the Roman Church, back to the Mother Church, under its Jesuit system. Under its Jesuit network worldwide, it would send its brilliant young men under oath into the seminaries of the Protestant churches to be trained as pastors. And these would then graduate and raise families in the churches and rise to positions of influence within these churches and become leaders within these churches in high positions where they can influence what is taught in the churches and implement policy taking their instructions from Rome while the ordinary church people have no clue what is going on. So they would be agents of Rome planted within the system. So when certain doctrines are spin off by Rome, they would be accepted in the Protestant churches without much opposition. And right now, I could name many of them, but that is not the purpose of today's installment. And all of these plans that I've mentioned above were made almost 500 years ago, during the Council of Trent. And I can say that all are already put in place right now, just waiting for the final developments. While God is saying to the world, dear friends, open your eyes and see what is about to break forth upon the world. Revelations chapter 17 and 18 brings to view a woman, a corrupted woman, which is a symbol of a corrupt church. And the Bible calls it a harlot, an impure woman, a prostitute. The King James Version refers to it as a war, which rides on the back of the kings, the government rulers of the world, which controls them all. And it is in spiritual fornication with them, just to use the language of the Bible itself. The Roman Church, through its network of Jesuits worldwide, controls the largest educational system in the world. In all the various countries, many of these top universities are actually Jesuit training centers to groom people for key positions in politics so that they can be placed where they're needed at the top so that they will be answerable to the Roman system. The Roman church controls the largest hospital system in the world. It's the largest controller in the pharmaceutical industries. So when you think vaccine, say, hmm. You know, I have a document from 2012, written in 2012, which says, Coronavirus, the champion of Rome. I have that. It controls the banking system of the world. Yes, the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers are merely the bankers of the Vatican. Revelation 18 says it will control the silver and gold. It influences the heads of most major religions and denominations today. Hence, Revelation 17 and verse 5 says, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. Mother of harlots? This means it has daughters. Daughters who have become corrupted by it. Churches who are under its influence, and many people don't even realize this. Even though they go by their various names, and they have their different 
ideas and whatever at the top and within their doctrinal system, much of it is from Rome. And many of the leaders don't even realize where some of the things that they're teaching come from. So when we talk about infiltration of the churches, dear friends, it is a big subject and there is much more that could be said. But so much for now. Yet understand, dear friends, that God still has genuine pastors out there who are seeking to do His will. But many don't even know what we are studying today. And many are caving in under the pressure in order to hold on to their positions. Everybody will have to make a choice for themselves. But as for you, dear friend, keep your eyes on God. Look to Him as your strength and safety. Put your trust in the one who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And cherish the truth above popular lies. Remember, it is not the amount of people that believe something that determines whether or not it's truth. At the time of Noah, only eight people believed the flood was coming and went into the ark, and all the rest of the whole world perished. Hence the scriptures say, Enter into the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads unto life, and few there be that find it. So stay true to God. Stay true to the truth. Do not put your hope and your trust in churches, but in Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. He will never fail you. Next week, we begin studying Daniel chapter 7. Until then, stay safe, dear friends. Keep trusting. God bless you all. 